0: CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential with your host, Dr. Dina.
1: Welcome to Cannabis Confidential on Cannabis Radio. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Dr. Dina. I hope you guys had a fabulous week. I know I did. I've been getting over having the worst flu sickness ever. I was sick for like a month, but now we're getting back and I'm feeling good. You guys already know how I feel about people going to jail for pot. I despise it. And I have never been arrested or served a day in jail myself. However, I have many friends who have gone through hell, being arrested, going to jail. I've seen firsthand how the government can lock you up and throw away the key over a conspiracy of nothing. I've also was raised to fight for what I believe in, which is why I fight for our favorite plant, And why I try to help educate as many people as I can about what's really going on with the world, with the prison systems, with the screwed up drug laws that we all live with. And today I am so excited about my guest because we're going to meet Amy Lupova. Now, you might think if you saw Amy on the street that she's a model. Maybe she's an actress. I like to think of her more of like a Malibu Barbie. But she's more than just a gorgeous face. See, Amy is an activist with a very powerful story. Amy created Can Do for Clemency. The reason why she did this is because she's well-versed on the topic of clemency and injustices associated with the drug war. Can Do is a 501c3 nonprofit foundation that advocates clemency for all nonviolent drug offenders. Now, I usually just advocate for cannabis offenders, but not Amy. She's about all drug offenders. Now, overly punitive drug laws, they create negative consequences that trigger a chain reaction upon innocent family members, friends, and our society. Most of the people that have been locked up, they've been there for decades. And until our drug laws change, the only relief these people have for mercy is a presidential pardon in the form of executive clemency. Now, the Can Do mission, their statement, is that Can Do advocates executive clemency for federal prisoners convicted of drug crimes. The criteria for cases that Can Do gives top priority to consists of women, were ensnared by the conspiracy statute due to their association and proximity to individuals already involved with drugs, or someone serving a long sentence for marijuana with special emphasis upon anyone serving life sentence for marijuana, individuals who fit in one of the following categories. Certain individuals who acted as a minor participant but were fingered by more culpable co-conspirators that received a lesser sentence, or first-time offenders when minor priors exist. An explanation of how these infractions occurred have to be provided as well. And anyone serving a life sentence who is clearly not the kingpin, especially if the convicting evidence consists of hearsay testimony, which most of that we all know is total crap, some individuals serving 10 or more years who have demonstrated that they've had a horribly ineffective assistance to counsel, or select cases where prisoners have served 10 or more years, have a clean record of conduct, and have demonstrated a strong will to rehabilitate themselves. They've completed drug program, a series of rehab courses or programs offered in prison or individuals who receive a lesser sentence if convicted under current law. Now, that alone pretty much covers thousands of people that are in prison. But just to give you a little bit of history, in the prime of her life, Amy was sentenced to 24 years on a drug conspiracy charge. She was arrested for collecting bail money for her husband who manufactured MDMA. Now, he was the kingpin but he only received three years probation because he cooperated with the prosecutors and Amy refused a plea bargain. She refused to cooperate, right? They wanted her to wear a wire. She refused. She could have done all this and and gotten out, but she refused. And and because of this, she was sentenced to 24 years. And now when you get sentenced to 24 years, you just, that's your whole life. I mean, that's, that's so much. And Amy could have just given up, but she didn't. And lucky for Amy, she had the help of some, really loyal friends and activists. And on July 7th of 2000, her sentence was commuted by President Bill Clinton after serving nine years and three months of time. Now, Amy was now out and back in society. She could have chosen to have never looked back and moved on with her life, but she couldn't forget the friendships that she made on the inside. She discovered that so many women were locked up for similar roles as her. She realized that these women needed her help and she had stepped up to the plate. More than ever, she created Can Do. Now, just recently, President Obama commuted the sentences of 46 nonviolent drug offenders, more than any sitting president in the last 50 years. It was the result of the Clemency Project, a federal initiative that encouraged 35,000 prisoners to apply for clemency. And on this one day, 42 men and four women They were the ones that were given this lucky lottery ticket, essentially, to say, you get to go home out of all of these thousands of candidates. And as Amy has shown me, that women, they're pretty much the hardest hit victims in the war on drugs besides children who are really the most affected. They're essentially collateral damage to the drug war, but many of these women are indicted because they're merely the girlfriend or the wife of a drug dealer, yet they're not part of the inner circle, and they have limited information to plea bargain with. Mandatory minimums are reserved for those who do not cut a deal with prosecutors, so you get screwed. And women are being overlooked by the Justice Department as candidates worthy of having their sentence commuted. And over the last 30 years, the female prison population has grown by over 800 percent, while the male prison population grew 416 percent or almost at 420. Look at that. During the same time frame and more than half of the mothers in prison were the primary financial supporters of their children before they were incarcerated. So who's going to support their kids now? And the vast majority of these women in federal prison were put there because of conspiracy laws that hold them equally culpable for the criminal actions of their co-defendants, That means one of their boyfriends murdered someone and their girlfriend went to jail for murder even though they didn't do it and they weren't there just because they might have heard about it. I mean, this is ridiculous. But this is also happening for cannabis crimes and for drug crimes. And often the spouse or the boyfriend, you know, they're the ones that are the real problem. But in other words, these women are guilty by association. So we have been ranting and raving, but let's welcome on the Amy Lou Pova. Hi, Amy. Thank you. So excited to have you on today.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan, and I am honored that you've asked me to come on your program.
1: Well, I think that you have such a strong message to so many different people out there because I know that I was touched when I first met you and realizing that when I saw you, you actually remind me a lot of myself because when I go to cannabis events, there's been times where I pulled up to a cannabis event, and the people parking the cars told me I was in the wrong place. Because I didn't look like I fit in, and so it's the same thing. When I met you, I didn't think that you had ever been to jail. You didn't look. You don't look like someone that has been dragged through the the criminal court system. But then what, when you met me and, and you started talking, and I realized this message that you had was so strong, and I realized why. It's because you knew these people. You were there, and you you saw firsthand not just what it did to you, but what it's doing to so many women out there.
2: Right. Well. People would be surprised to find out how many people are in prison who look just like their neighbor, who are just, let's not even look, it's just wonderful people who are in prison for draconian sentences that range from 20 to life. Mostly the people who get those kinds of sentences are there because they refuse to cooperate. And that's the message that I really want people to take away from this, because We hear a lot in the press and the narrative out of BC very often blames mandatory minimums, but then the public still doesn't really understand what that is. And I personally feel that that's not a very cohesive explanation because mandatory minimums only apply to people who go to trial or who refuse to cooperate. So I think we can almost take that term and set it over here and just explain to people in a way they can understand that I got 24 years because I wouldn't cooperate with the feds. In fact, when I was in prison, I was already, I think, in my eighth year, a journalist saw my case on a website, and he had been hired by Glamour Magazine to do beef up some stories for the magazine, and he contacted me and he wanted to um, do a story because he was shocked to see that the kingpin or the ringleader, which was my husband at the time, was given a plea bargain that resulted in in three years probation. And I was doing 24 years based on what he had done, which was manufacturing 3.3 million tablets of ecstasy. And When you're a co-conspirator, you're held responsible for everything that everybody else did, even if you just did one overt act. And my participation, as you mentioned earlier, was stupidly running around and collecting some bail money because he was arrested in Germany. And I didn't really think that what I was doing could get me in trouble because this whole thing was not something that I was hands-on we had been separated for over a year I lived in Los Angeles and part of the backstory is he's a Stanford Law School graduate he owns several businesses and we definitely did try ecstasy I did it several times I knew he could get ecstasy he said from a doctor another time he said he could get it from a chemist but I didn't really connect the dots, and he shielded me from the bigger picture. I'm not saying that I'm completely innocent. I knew that he could get ecstasy. I would get it for my friends at times. A friend of mine wanted some. I got it for him. And then, of course, as with pot or any drug, if you get some for your friends, sometimes you just give it to them. Sometimes if they want some more tablets, then they're like, here, you know, here's or whatever.
1: It doesn't make you a dealer, but it's very complicated. It gets very complicated. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be joined with Amy Lou. We're going to talk about conspiracy charges and how simple it is that you can be charged with conspiracy. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Cannabis confidential with Dr. Dina will continue after a word from our most confident sponsors.
3: From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis
1: nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength.
0: Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Dr. Dina is back with more Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're
1: back with Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We have Amy Lupova with Can Do for Clemency on the line. So we're talking about conspiracy and how quickly and how simple things can go south. And so, Amy, you were talking about, you know, if you just give someone drugs, it's a conspiracy. If you talk about something, it's a conspiracy.
2: Correct, yeah. Yes, the Supreme Court has ruled that just a conversation alone is enough to trigger the conspiracy statute because there doesn't even really have to be an overt act, just a conversation. However, that said, most cases do involve somebody who has actually taken some kind of overt act and started a conspiracy so that it does trigger some kind of action.
1: Right. And all you did was basically collect bail money for your husband and to put it on his books. And that made you...
2: Well, I was running around. I retained attorneys. There was cash. I lived in Los Angeles and he lived in Dallas. So I flew back to Dallas. I was shocked. But... The long story short is that I retained attorneys. I got money to a co-defendant of his who was involved. And I met with one person who did seem uh, a little bit shady to me. And he turned over some cash to me. And that was an experience that I was not comfortable with. And I have to say, I knew when I was doing it that this money clearly was not kosher. And I swore after I got the money from him, I would not do anything else. That's that's when I realized I was like this is a little bit too much for me. But I put that money in the attic of the Dallas house and then I went back to Los Angeles. I didn't even keep that money. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much into the story. So, by running around and collecting money, he thought he was going to get bail of about a million dollars, but Germany never gave him bail. So, that was enough to uh, ensnare me with the conspiracy statute.
1: That's terrifying. Something so little, you don't. Know, and it's really just as a wife, you are loyal and you try to help your friends or your loved ones out. And a lot. That's why these women are, are in jails. You know, they wanted to help in some way, and and that's that. And I noticed that there are very few numbers are actually their sentences are being commuted. More men than women are getting out.
2: Yeah, that was disturbing to me because my position and the women that I serve time with is that most of the women wouldn't be there at all. It had not been for the activity of a loved one, and many of them really weren't even involved. They may have spent money. They weren't the ones that were dealing, and very often they got more time than the most culpable person who often cuts a deal. I don't know why, but I think for the most part, women are stronger and more loyal, so they don't tend to cut deals, and some are also intimidated. We had someone who recently got out that I helped, Ramona Brandt, and she was a victim of domestic violence. There's no way in the world she could have worked with the feds because she had already been a victim of some of his domestic abuse. He put her in the hospital. It's very well documented, but they never even Offered her a deal. They never even offered to say put her under witness protection. Very, very often, the feds come down just as heavy on a woman as if they were the kingpin themselves. Even if they can look at the documentation and they know that this woman is maybe a victim herself, but most of the cases that I'm helping, they were just non-violent drug cases where a lot of them are marijuana. We've got Crystal Munoz who got over 19 years. She's already served nine. We have a lot of these cases on the website. Linda Burns is someone that I'm very concerned about because the feds gave a deal to her son, and her son was the primary person who was selling marijuana. I think Linda was aware of it, and maybe she even condoned it. I think she did. She she wasn't that concerned about his marijuana dealings her name was on the home that he was living in and i think that they wanted to make her out to be more of the say queen pin because they wanted to see property that had been in the family for a long time and the home that her name was in so they gave the deal to her son and he testified against his mother and she's doing 22 years and i just got an email from her last night And she was just diagnosed. She got a biopsy back in the prison, and she has carcinoma cancer on her tongue. And so this Mm -hmm. could even be a death sentence for her if she doesn't get out soon.
1: How many women are you working with now?
2: Oh, goodness. I'm very hands-on with about 35, but I email close to, I'd say, 85 And I just can't, I'm kind of almost becoming ineffective because so many of them now are contacting me who want help and they feel this window is closing. As we all know, a year flies by and Obama's going to leave office in January of 2017. Many of them don't have their petitions in yet. And I can't handle the workload that's coming at me and the requests But my heart is emotionally involved with these women, so I have to start putting up some filters so that I can be effective for the ones that I am advocating for and also for the men. After there wasn't really much activity during the Bush administration, much interest in clemency, I decided to do a documentary about marijuana. It's called 420, the documentary. And that's when I learned of a lot of people who are serving life for marijuana. And as much as I thought I knew about the drug war and the women that I'm trying to help, even I was shocked. I did not think that there were that many people serving life There's So for marijuana.
1: many, so many.
2: Yeah, it's, it's staggering. And again, those who are serving life are usually serving life because they went to trial, not because of, the amount of drugs that they sold or even that they sold any marijuana, like Craig Cecil, for example, who just repaired trucks. If you won't play the game, if you won't cooperate, they will slam you and then they hold you accountable for everything that co-conspirators are willing to say on the witness stand. And we already know that a lot of the time the Co-conspirators who are in a plea bargain are incentivized to exaggerate the amounts. I don't know why they feel that that's their role as a prosecutor, but that happens a lot. And conspiracy conviction can be supported by testimony alone. They don't have to have any tangible evidence anymore. That's something that I really think our legislators need to bring back. No more convictions based on testimony alone.
1: That's right. That is right. Proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. So we're going to take a, another quick break. We come back. We're going to have Amy here with us. We're going to talk about how we can all get involved and help out our prisoners in jail, nonviolent, victimless crimes, and change our future. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina will continue after a word from our most confident sponsors.
3: More flavor! with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
0: Dr. Dina is back with more Cannabis confidentials. only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Cannabis
1: Confidential. This is Dr. Dina. We have Amy Pova on the line from Can Do for Clemency. Now, how do we help you, Amy? How do we make it easier for these prisoners?
2: Well, we do have some support letters that are on some of the profile pages that people can download. They can educate themselves by just looking through some of the profiles. Certainly they can reach out. We have a contact number if they want to become a little bit more involved. But I think the most important way for people to help would be to support something that you're doing, which is raising money that goes directly on the books of the prisoners, so I would love for you to explain what thank you guys you. are doing because that impacts them personally and it's tangible and it's a great way for people to help.
1: And thank you so much. And it really means a lot. And I wish we were doing this back then during the Bush era when when these guys really felt like there was no hope at all because I think that when you send them just a little bit of money, maybe it's just $100, but it's more than the money. It's It's hope. It's showing that people out there care that maybe they shouldn't give up. And so I do believe that's so important. And I know that there's so many items that these guys and these women need to buy in commissary in prison. What are the some of the items that you had to buy for yourself, Amy?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, what people don't know is that when I went to prison, the transition hadn't quite occurred yet, where they went from a model that they spent money to house us to a model where they're making money off of prisoners. And that's That definitely, I feel, was intentional. So we could go to medical and get a little bitty bottle of aspirin, and over time, everything shifted. We could get a box of clothes from our family. We could wear blue jeans and a solid shirt that somebody had sent us and shoes and a coat. All of that changed, and they started telling us to buy everything on commissary at 7-Eleven prices. I mean, you have to buy a pair of sweats, Cheap, cheap tennis shoes. I would get bruises, a stone bruise, because the tennis shoes didn't have a sole, but we were paying a lot of money for them. We buy everything from sweet and low to instant coffee, food, toothpaste, you name it.
1: Go check out Amy's organization, the Can Do Foundation, at candoclemency.com. And if you want to give back more to our prisoners... Go donate at freedomgrow.org. It is a really exciting program. We work with Amy. We bring her clemency letters to our events. So when she has someone that's ready for their, their clemency letters to be signed. Amy, how many letters do these prisoners need?
2: Well, what is good is if the Office of the Pardon Attorney gets a steady stream or we send them to the president. So if we're done in batches, it's always good for a month later for them to get some more because it takes them back to that file. And we want them to always be reminded of Craig Cecil, Michael Peltier. We always want to let them know, oh, yeah, I have to go open his file again. It brings their attention back to him.
1: That's really important to bring the attention back. Let them know that we do not want these guys in jail. Let them go home. They need to be with their families. And it's just, it's so important. So thank you so much, Amy, for for coming on today. Is there anything else that you feel is, is something we need to share?
2: Well, I just also wish people would empower themselves and reach out to their congressman, their representative, and let them know that they do not support these laws that put people in prison, nonviolent drug offenders for these draconian sentences and that they want some change. They want something to change because we do have goodwill right now. There is a big movement for criminal justice reform, but let your representative know where you stand.
1: That's right. And so it's really important that you do that Let everyone know how you stand. Make sure not just you, but get your family to write. Have everyone you know write a letter. And because the power of all of us together, we're going to fight this one day. We're going to get all these people to come home. I mean, here we are. I have a nonprofit. Amy has a nonprofit. Our nonprofits work together because teamwork makes the dream work we do letter signing, we raise funds, we bring awareness, and we want to wish an early release to all nonviolent offenders of the drug war. And that's really what my dream is. And I know that Amy shares it with me. I hope all you guys can see the light at the end of the tunnel and see that there's a future for these guys. Let's bring them home. Let's get them a job. Let's let's make it happen. You guys listened to George Martirano that was on a couple weeks back. And George spent how 30 something years in in prison and you just hear how how beautiful he is that he writes poems about you know the the sun and the sky and the air and he just loves being outside he lives in a tent now because he had walls around him for so many years and so let's let these all the, all these guys get out and you can check out Amy on Instagram at Do clemency and you could also check out Amy on Instagram at CanDoClemency Clemency and Facebook as well. Make sure to share our podcast, give us five stars. Follow me on social media, Dr. Dina420 on Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and Facebook, and just Dr. Dina on Twitter. And I'd like to thank my guest, Amy, for being on today, my producers, and all the people at Cannabis Radio for making the show happen. And thank you guys for listening. Now go and light one up for me. Have a great day.